I speak to you in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, the title of my sermon this morning is, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, No, It's... I can still remember the day when the ascension of Christ changed from something that I saw as neither necessary for my faith nor worth very much mental energy. I was doing research for a paper in graduate school and I came across the following sentence in a 900-year-old sermon. This is the consummation and fulfillment of all the other feast days. And this is the perfect ending to the Son of God's entire journey. I don't know about you, but I had never heard or read anything like that before. It struck me as incredibly odd. Ascension was the fulfillment of all the other feasts, including Christmas and Easter? That couldn't be. For the life of me, I could not make heads or tails of that, but I knew at that point it was worth thinking about, not least because I had a paper to write. Now I bring all of this up because I'm fairly certain that I am not the only one among us this morning who hasn't ever paid any attention to the importance of the ascension stories for our faith. So on the off chance that the feast of the ascension on this past Thursday did indeed pass by unremarked at your house by at least one or two of you, I thought it would be important for us to talk about the Ascension this morning. Perhaps with the grace of the Holy Spirit present among us, by the time we're finished this morning, the Ascension will fill us as it filled the disciples with wonder and awe. Now I think part of the problem that we have thinking about the Ascension is that it's just so hard to imagine here are the disciples gathered around the resurrected Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And usually they're, and as usual rather, they're asking him questions that show they've totally missed the point. Is it time for you to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Are you finally ready, Jesus? Are we going to get down to what this Messiah business is really all about? 40 days after Jesus was crucified, and 40 days, or excuse me, 43 days after Jesus was crucified and 40 days following his resurrection, the disciples are still trying to figure out when Jesus will finally drive the Romans out of Jerusalem. It's embarrassing, really, how much of it they never quite seem to understand. And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem and they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses his martyrs, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond. I wonder how long it took them to figure out what that really meant. And while they were standing there, probably just a little bit disappointed that it wasn't time to go after the Romans and chase them out of God's territory, a cloud surrounded them. And when it lifted, Jesus was gone. There isn't any good way to visualize it. Most of the images we have in our heads are just not credible. If you look at the Albrecht Durer um, engraving that is at the back of your bulletin for this morning, 
you can see what I mean. This print was so widely used in Bibles in illustrations from 1500 to 1900 that for any of us who ever spent any time looking at our grandmother's or great-grandmother's family Bible, this is the image that governs the way we see the ascension. And Jesus looks for all the world like a Saturn V rocket heading off into space. In a world where we've seen real rockets, Saturn V Jesus just doesn't inspire belief. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not disparaging Durer. His woodcuts and engravings were powerful pieces that shaped the faith of generations. But that's just the point. Images shape the way that human beings think. And sometimes, in order to really think about something, we have to examine the images that we have stored up and let go of the images that aren't helpful. Saturn V Jesus is not helpful. Instead of worrying about clouds and rising into heaven and how all of that happened, I su suggest that you accept the language as metaphor, trying to explain what is and was not entirely explainable and without any possible examples in the world of the lives of the men who witnessed it. What we need to consider is what the ascension means to the triune God and to us. Because you see, what the ascension tells us is that we, all of us, and everything that makes each of us ourselves can and will be saved because human nature in its complete body and soul unity has been drawn into the life of the Trinity to be loved and redeemed. In the Jewish understanding of human nature and therefore the apostles and the Christian understanding of human nature, human beings are made of a body and soul that are irrevocably joined together. Your identity, my identity, consists of that union of body and soul. And because Jesus ascended into heaven as a recognizably human being, one of the things that the ascension tells us is that human nature, all of it, body and soul, properly belongs in the presence of God. We can be assured, too, that we'll be able to know God and dwell in the presence of God and the Lamb for all eternity. The ascension demonstrates what Jesus taught that we will find our true fulfillment in the presence of God. Now, since the beginning of the faith, the ascension has been considered one of the four saving acts of Christ. Remove any one of them from the faith, and the others lose their meaning. The first saving act of God, Christ is the incarnation. God the Son, the divine Logos, took human flesh, and all of human nature and came to dwell with us that we might be restored to our proper communion with God and saved from sin and death. The second was the crucifixion in which, the Christ, in which Christ Jesus, the Son of God himself, made an atoning sacrifice for us, pouring out his life's blood so that we might be restored to life. The third is the resurrection 
whereby his resurrection in a glorified body, we were promised that never again would, we ha would death have the last word, but that we too would know eternal life. And the last of the four is the ascension. Because we now know that the proper place for that eternal life is dwelling with God and the Lamb in a way so deep that human nature is already part of the life of the triune God. At the ascension, Jesus didn't go home and hang the people's suit in a corner. He ascended bodily and because human nature is utterly and irrevocably joined to the nature of God. And it is a sign of the glory to which we are called. What's more, if that last act is true, isn't true, then the incarnation isn't true. God didn't really assume all of human nature to save us. And if the incarnation isn't true, then the crucifixion and the resurrection are meaningless. Now, perhaps the writer of that 900-year-old sermon was on to something profound when he proclaimed that the ascension was the fulfillment of all the other great feasts that we remember about the way that God's Son came to save us. Now, all of that's a lot of nice theology. Perhaps it will seem more real if I tell you a story that might help you see how it works for you and me. Years ago, when I was still newly clergy, I was working as a spiritual director on a retreat when I was asked to pray with a young woman who was deeply distressed. We sat in a large darkened meeting room as she choked out her explanation of what we were going to pray about. You see, she had been born with a clubbed foot, a foot that turned inward and could not be held straight. And her parents had no money for the surgery and therapy that would have helped her. They thought she would grow out of it, but she didn't. And as she grew, the position of her foot distorted her walk and her whole body. Her disability had shaped her whole life, her body and soul. She had never felt beautiful or graceful or lovable. She was the clumsy, plain girl with a limp. There had never been a boyfriend, no deep love, just her lonely plainness and her awkward gait. She had never danced. She had some questions for me too. She wanted to lay out on the floor to prostrate herself and to pray with Jesus. Was that okay? I assured her it was very okay and very powerful. Would I help her get down and help her get up? Those were easy questions. And then she looked at me and said, all my life, more than anything, I have wanted to dance, to dance and dance and twirl around like they do in the movies. Do you think I will be able to dance when I get to heaven? Do you think Jesus will dance with me? We were there a long time. I sat on the floor next to her while she prayed and she danced with Jesus. That young woman lives in the hope given by Jesus in the ascension 
that when she crosses from this life into the next, she will dance. For those of us who live in a world of straight teeth and straight feet, it is sometimes hard to see how the promise of eternal life in a glorified body could add very much to our eternity. But to be truly who we were meant to be as human beings, we must be redeemed and restored from whatever distorts and misshapes us, body and soul. Human beings were meant to walk with God as friend and lover. That is the glory for which we were created. Now for some of us, glory might seem like it's only a spiritual experience, but glory will involve everything that we are. For all of us, glory will mean that we finally know what it means to dance. Amen.